Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your question, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, of all the inventions that I've seen, the dry erase board has to be the most remarkable. (laughs) I mean, it is remarkable, and that makes the joke acceptable to me. You know what I would have tweeted about this week? What? I would have tweeted about this Kava Akbar poem, The Palace, which was published in The New Yorker. It's one of the longest poems I think The New Yorker has ever published. It is incredible. I I know that here at Dear Hank and John, we like a good short poem. This is a longer poem, but oh my goodness, it is incredible. It... I've been rereading it for a week. It, let me let me just read you one line from it, Hank, toward the end of the poem. Art mm. is where what we survive survives. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, Hank, we have got to get to this question from Jay. Okay. It's the most important question we received this week. Jay writes, hello, Hank and John. Thank you for your work. I would like some advice. My father has a high-stress job. How can I help him relax at home, enjoy life more, and stay positive and hopeful? Oh, man. How can you be supportive even though you can't fix life's problems? I'd appreciate your thoughts on this matter. Jay. Well, some someday I will have a son, and I hope that he thinks of me that way. Exactly. I mean, no, I already have a son. Someday I'll have a son who will be capable of like having thoughts and writing emails is what I meant. Because my first thought, Hank, was that like Jay's dad is probably like the chief of staff in the White House. That's a stressful job. Oh, that does sound like a very high stress job. Yes. Unpleasantly high stress. Yeah. Like you've got a fairly, I I think it's safe to say, unpredictable boss. (laughs) And then you've got a lot of people working for you, which is a bad combo. Jay, is your dad Bob Iger? Is it the head of Disney? Is is Bob Iger the head of Disney? Is that who I'm thinking of? I think so. Yeah. Or is your dad like Elon Musk? Because that seems stressful right now. (laughs) Not any particular one job that he has, just the job of being Elon Musk does sound sound like it maybe has some, some unnecessary... Some necessary and some unnecessary stresses that seem to have come along with it. Not that we never subject ourselves to stress, John. We do do that. We do that. I do that to myself. I create stresses on my already stressful life. Why do I do this? Why does Jay's dad do it? I don't know. I don't. I think that's the, really the question, though. Like, mm. some of us seem to pursue stress. And when we don't have a lot of it, and I would include both of us in this category... Mm-hmm. you'd find a new thing to stress you out. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that we're getting to Jay's question, but we are getting to my question, which is, John, <laughs> how do I stop this? How do I make decisions in my life that lead to me uh, fulfilling the responsibilities I currently have signed up for yeah. and not adding new ones, like wanting to start a boba tea place in Missoula, Montana? Please, God, don't start a boba tea place in Missoula, Montana. I looked into it, John, and it looks like a terrible idea, but I'm still very excited about it. Can't you just pay a full-time employee to make you boba tea every morning and have <laughs> essentially the same experience? It would be cheaper. Yeah. Yeah? 
Yeah, it would be only a modest monthly loss versus a large <laughs> monthly loss. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the, I don't, is there is there a lot? Jay, does your dad run a boba tea franchise? Because <laughs> it sounds stressful, surprisingly difficult, and not super rewarding. Um, yes, and yeah, and and. Despite the fact that you'd think that it would be all fun and games, John, just all those tapioca pearls and bursting balls and uh, like, but no, turns out. What do we wish Jay would do for us if Jay was our child? I kind of wish that Jay would sit me down and say, Dad, I want Mm. you to have a long, hard think about how much of this you need to do and how much of this (laughs) is kind of optional. It's like that conversation I had with my Uncle Mike one time. Uh, you know Uncle Mike, John. I love Uncle Mike. Uh, where we were happened to have turned around on the beach at the same time, and then mm-hmm. we were walking next to each other, and mm-hmm. I was like, this is going to be the longest I will have ever spent with Uncle Mike, won't it be? And then I said to him to try and open up the conversation uh, so that it wouldn't be awkward and silent, I said... I've been having a lot of uh, difficulty trying to balance between like, you know, life and, and, you know, business and like, you know, my family and, and the responsibilities of work. And he was like, that is the greatest struggle of a man's life. And that is all we said together (laughs) for the whole walk. And I, and like, I was like, is he going to say more than that? And nope, but it was a little validating. Uncle Mike was like, yes, that is hard. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's all all your dad needs, Jay, is is the Uncle Mike treatment. I have been in several meetings with Uncle Mike where Uncle Mike walks in, I would say like This is tw- how our family works, by the way. We have meetings. 20 minutes late to the meeting <laughs> and leaves 2 minutes later. But what a valuable 2 minutes. Also, another thing about Uncle Mike. Uh, yeah, I yeah, yeah, I don't know how deep we want to get into Uncle Mike stories, but he is an amazing, amazing man. And one time he was in Chicago when I was living in Chicago and he said, "Would you like to go out to dinner?" And I said, "Of course, it'd be great to go out to dinner." And everything that Uncle Mike said at dinner was beautiful and thoughtful and very carefully expressed. And also, I would estimate that in the hour and a half that we spent together, he said 12 words to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a different style of communication than we use. He is is a man of few well-chosen words, and we are men of... Tons of words. Hey, can I subscribe <laughs> Wait, too to many. the monkey at a typewriter theory of yeah. creation, which is that if you just yeah. make enough stuff, some of it will accidentally be good. Yeah, if you just make, if you just say enough things, some of them will end up on those quote websites. <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, is the point of being a person. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. This next question comes from Adrian, who asks, Dear Hank and John, what's the best way to handle receiving negative performance reviews at work? In my office, we get yearly reviews from multiple people we work with, and while most of my reviews were positive, well, one of my reviews was fairly negative, and I feel like it was undeserved, but I also recognize that no one wants to hear negative things about themselves, so I'm not exactly impartial here. Feedback and failure, Adrian. Oh, boy. I think that, like... One, at least you know it's honest. I always feel like, so is this, is this a, a me thing or is this an everybody thing? Whenever somebody says something nice about me, I'm like, you're a liar. Right. And when somebody says something mean, I'm like, well, at least I know they were not, they're not just uh, making me feel good about myself. Yeah. 
I remember every negative thing that anyone has ever said to me in person and no mm. no compliments. I remember once <laughs> this person walked up to me and said, did you write Looking for Alaska? And I said, yes. And they said, I really liked the first half of that book, but I thought the second <laughs> half was terrible. Oh, my God. And I was like, thanks. I really liked the first half of your compliment. <laughs> the second half was terrible. Yeah. yeah, the first half of your comment was excellent. <laughs> I felt that the second half needs some work. Here are yeah, some I ways that like you could like improve <laughs> it. Don't say it out loud. That would be the number one thing. Just say, I really liked the first half of your book, and then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me wondering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's always good. You have to keep your audience wanting more. So only ever deliver half a compliment. I will say this about getting negative feedback, though. It's painful, but you learn a lot from it. So there are like some criticisms of my books that I just think are like wrong for lack of a better term or, right. or, or yeah, they just yeah, don't yeah. interest me as criticisms but there are yeah. other ones where I'm like oh man yeah I should I should learn from this and so mm -hmm. I find it more helpful in some ways than positive feedback but it certainly isn't helpful in the moment no it's and it's it's definitely always very hard and um and also some oftentimes like you don't know what to do with that information it's right. like this is the thing that you're not good at. And it is like, is it because I'm not good at that? Mm -hmm. Or is it because I need to work harder at it? Right. A lot of times it doesn't feel actionable. Right. I think that it's important to to recognize that sometimes negative feedback isn't good. Oh, yeah. No, sometimes it's inaccurate. Like, yeah. yes, teenagers don't talk like that. That's just not an interesting criticism. <laughs> I could go on if you'd like. I got that one a lot with my book, too. And I was like, she's 23. Well, I think the larger thing is that uh, it's a novel. And like, yeah. I, th there seems to be a, a, a debate over what novels should do. And I am right. happy to participate in that debate and grateful for the fact that I get to participate in it. But I think I'm right. <laughs> like, obviously, yeah. I am aware of how people talk. And I have made the choice that I've made. And that may be the case it, it, for you at work, Adrian, or it may be that there are things that you can actually learn from. Like, for instance, uh, I can't actually think of any criticisms of my work that I agree with. <laughs> oh, I can think of lots of mine. No, I can too, actually. You, the, the, biggest, you, the biggest one that I think is very true is that I just cannot write a plot to save my life. <laughs> It's like a form of colorblindness or something. Like I look at a story and I just don't, it just isn't there for me. <laughs> it sounds nice, honestly. Like the hard part for me is having the plot all like line up and work. Yeah. No, that is definitely the hard part. That's why I just ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just take different approaches to that big problem. Like you're like, oh, I have to work really hard to make this plot work. And I'm like, ah, I mean, let's just not have it resolve. Anyway, Adrian, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you write great plots. This next question comes from M who writes, dear John and Hank, I'm at a training at work and I'm hiding in the bathroom because I just vomited in the meeting room. What do I do? Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Em, <laughs> I've, I once was, uh, working at a nonprofit and I was just licking, 
envelopes and mm-hmm. stuff and stuff and stuff uh, yeah. on the floor, literally on the floor. Yeah. And I started to bleed out my face as mm. you sometimes do when mm-hmm. you moved from Florida to Montana mm-hmm. um, a, a couple months ago. Yeah. And I bled on the the envelopes that yeah. I was supposed to be stuffing. And I like, and I didn't know where the nearest bathroom was because I was very new to this place. I didn't know where the bathroom was, so I literally ran out of the building and went to a coffee shop to like clean my blood off of me. Yeah. And then I was like, I have to go back there now, where my blood is on the ground, and I disappeared. And I assumed that someone would have noticed the bloody envelopes by the time I got back. And then I got back to the nonprofit. And indeed, my bloody envelopes had been discovered. And I said, I had a nosebleed. And they were like, oh. And then we reprinted the envelopes and I kept stuffing them. Yeah, I'm going to argue that that's not a perfect analog to barfing <laughs> in the middle of a meeting. <laughs> oh, was there, was there currently, were there people in the meeting? Oh, I maybe I thought she was by not. herself in the meeting room. Oh, oh, in that case, M, you just go into someone else's office and you say, somebody puked in the meeting room. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, it's a it's a character building moment. <laughs> and like, okay, there's two things, there's two potential outcomes. Yeah. You're gonna tell them that you puked in the meeting room. Yeah. There's two things that can happen. One, everybody can be like, wow, that M, she really handled herself well in a stressful situation. Two, you become pukey M and right. that's what they call you forever. Yeah. So you just got to have to have to be okay with one of those two outcomes. Yeah, I've had some similar experiences not at work but elsewhere and yeah. in my experience it is best to own up to things quickly and be yeah. like, "Oh, I mean, at least I made it to the trash can." Well, unless you didn't. Did yeah. you? I hope you I hope you made it to the trash can. Oh, I mean, sometimes don't. it is it is it is very unexpected. I can't, this is a huge surprise to me. And this is, it continues to be the case. I am a 38 year old man. You would think that I would know when I was going to puke. Yeah. And yet I will be like, my stomach hurts a little bit. Yeah. And then, and then I stand up and then I vomit and I'm like, just communicate that with me. Right. Let me know. Yeah. Let's have a conversation here between the gut and the brain. You would think, yeah, yeah. Like, we're we are married. We are stuck together. This is the only partnership we get to have. My brain and my body. We can never find a different partner, and we need to talk about this stuff. I mean, not yet, right? But like, we don't know for sure that that's always going to be the case. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Oh man, if if you could not have one bodily function, just yeah. like eliminate one bodily function, which would it be for the rest of my life? Yeah. Without consequences? Yeah. Um, sweat. Sweating. Oh, wow. Sweat. I wasn't expecting that answer. Did I you not read you Turtles to all the way down? <laughs> 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 to me, like sweating is a constant <laughs> reminder that, you know, my body is colonized by bacteria that... And and the way that I smell is not actually the way that I smell. It's the way that the bacteria colonizing me smell. And I just, I don't, I don't <laughs> oh, love sweating. Oh, God. There should have been a content warning before that. Boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about that. Yeah, I think I'd get rid of pooping. 
I mean, uh, yeah, I would, I would one hundred percent get rid of, get rid of smell, smelling. I mean, this is the, the the most ridiculously hypothetical conversation we've ever had. Like, there is no, it's not relevant because it's not like the of the things that might happen in the future. That's not one of no. them, right? We're like, no, 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 no. Science is able to turn off your body. Yeah, I don't know. It's not impossible. <laughs> em, I'm sorry you barfed at work. Everything's going to be fine, but not in the short run. <laughs> <laughs> and also actually not in the really long run. So, but in the mid, right. in the middle run, in the middle run things are going to be fine. And things are going to be fine. Ultimate like right now you did puke in the office and yeah. in the future you will be dead, but in the medium term things will be okay. Yeah, like 6 months from now looks great. This next question comes from Clara who asks, "Dear Hank and John, often when I meet my friends or say goodbye, I hug them. But sometimes there are other people that I'm saying hi and bye to, who are acquaintances, not friends, who I wouldn't normally hug, and they're standing next to all the rest of the people. This situation ends up with me either hugging someone, even though I don't really want to, and neither of us seem to enjoy it, or me hugging everyone else and then kind of waving to one or two people. And if I don't hug that person, I feel really rude, like I'm saying, everybody else here is my friend, but not you. Any dubious (laughs) advice is welcome. Lots of love, Clara. This is what handshakes are for, I think, in in like uh, the old days. But I feel like we've lost that. Yeah, but the pr- the problem is that if you hug a bunch of people, if you're like hugging four people in a line, and then you get to the fifth person, and you're like, nope. I mean, there is a problem there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's almost like you have to find some way of saying bye to the two groups of people separately. Right. You gotta I don't se- know. You gotta like, separate like, them that out. seems like a, like it's gonna require a lot of like politicking. Right. Basically, you're just like you're in the Game of Thrones now. But, yeah. Uh, but I think that there's a way to do it. I feel like you should carry a dry erase board with you and just write. You know, just be like, look, here is the list of the 30 people I hug, and as you can see, you're not on this list. In time, you may be. I I hope I enjoyed meeting you, and I I of course hope that you make it onto this list. But like for you to get on, someone has to be kicked off. So right, it's it's a big decision works. for me, and I'm just not mm. there. It's right. best I find to explain these awkward three second moments with like an eight minute talk. Right. So. In the past, when people would come up to me at Target or something and they would say, can I hug you? I would be like, no, and let me tell you why. And then like seven <laughs> minutes later, they would they would be like, okay, well, I mean, geez, I just wanted to get some bananas and yogurt here at Target. And now I've got, now, now, I've, now I'm at a lecture. This reminds me of a situation when you are leaving a social engagement and uh, two people are leaving at the same time and you say goodbye to each other and then you realize that you're parked in the same parking garage. Yes. So you're like, oh crap. Now we have to walk together after having said goodbye. Or being in a grocery store and saying hi and having a conversation and saying bye and then it's like, oh, I'm gonna see you eight more times. This is not a big grocery store. Right, that's the feeling that Uncle Mike had when you turned around on the beach at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, oh, it's oh, definitely the feeling great. I had. I was like, oh God, I'm gonna be walking with Uncle Mike. I I love to I love to be with Uncle Mike because he never says anything that isn't great. But yeah, or necessary. Like yeah, yeah. you don't fill up the time. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I just need to like get rid of my impulse to always be talking. Right. Which is exactly how I solve all of these situations, which is adding words and being like, oh, well, look at, looking like we're going to the same parking garage. I guess we'll talk some more. How's the fam? What do you think that one scissor is called a scissor or is that just a knife? Over the weekend, I was at a party and my best friend Marina came up to me and she said, the funniest thing just happened. And I said, what was it? And she said, Someone walked up to me and said, John Green is so friendly. And I laughed out loud because I assumed that she was kidding. But it turns out that you (laughs) hugged her uh, when she said hello because you thought she was someone else. (laughs) (laughs) That's dope, man. Like a different people. Like, oh, man, like our, our social norms are so... Uh, I like they're I, all they're they're all goosed up and messed around, and I don't know what to do with it anymore. I prefer hugging someone I've seen like five or six times actually to shaking hands. Shaking hands is so filthy. The like the right. bacterial exchange is so horrifying. <laughs> but you think about it, like touching the like someone's back, like their clothed back, is not that bad. In the scheme of things compared to like the horror of like, you know, handshakes. And I, by the way, like I, I, I shake hands. I, I don't make a big deal out of it, but I'm just telling you what I'm thinking when I'm shaking your hand. <laughs> He's thinking about the sweat, all the sweat oh, and God. all of the organisms that, that subsist on the sweat. We got, we got to move on. This next question comes from Kevin who writes, dear John and Hank, suddenly black holes are all the rage. <laughs> 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 Super suddenly. And I'm learning a little bit about them from news shows, and they seem kind of scary. If black Mm. holes basically suck up everything around them, could they potentially suck up the Earth at some point? And how would we stop that? (laughs) I've Uh, I've got good news and bad news, Kevin. The bad news is that we are not going to stop our species going extinct. The good news is that there's no way we'll make it until like an astronomical phenomenon kills us. Well, yeah, not well, certainly not that one. We could be, we could potentially like the triggering event could be an astronomical phenomenon far more likely to be based in our own solar system, whether that's an asteroid or a solar flare or some such thing like that. And um, far more likely still to be based in human behavior. Yeah. For, for clarity, the most likely situation is that we do it to our own dang selves. The yeah. So black holes, you I feel like you've been misinformed by the news. Don't. I mean, they don't really suck stuff up. Um, they are they are a thing that you can orbit just like anything else. Like the sun, for example, is a giant gravity well. We don't fall into it and we never will. It will eventually expand and encompass us, by which I mean our planet, <laughs> not us. We will not be around by then. We'll be gone. Uh, yeah, it, not least because a number of other changes will have occurred in the solar system that will have killed us first if we haven't killed ourselves and also because our species has been around for 250,000 years of which only the last 2000 have been where we were really the dominant species on the planet and 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 we're talking about like hundreds of millions of years from now there is no way i mean who looks at like the current human landscape and thinks oh we're definitely in the first one tenth of one percent of this experience (laughs) Black holes are, you think of them as sucking because a photon that is 
uh, emitted by the object. There's a, a solid object in there uh, that is emitted by the solid object inside of the black hole cannot escape the black hole. But things that are outside of the black hole don't get sucked in unless they're already on a collision course with the black hole in one way or another. Just like things that are around the sun don't get sucked into the sun. So we're not in danger of being eaten by a black hole. We are in danger of being eaten by our own um, hubris. Yeah, so Kevin, your existential angst is very well placed, but it's not going to be black holes. It's going to be us. Which reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by Human Extinction. Human Extinction. <laughs> I am very concerned about it, and I feel like we, we aren't talking about it enough. I feel like it comes up fairly often. This podcast is also brought to you by The Sweat. Oh. The Sweat. Oh. It's food for yeah. things that live on you. God. This podcast is also brought to you by our Uncle Mike. Our Uncle Mike. He doesn't feel the need to fill the silence. <laughs> and this podcast is also brought to you by Bloody Envelopes. Bloody Envelopes at the Wildland Center for the Prevention of Roads in 2005. <laughs> you worked for a center for the prevention of roads? Yeah, like... Like logging roads. Okay. That kind of roads. It's a bit of a weird name for an organization. We also have a Project for Awesome message to read from Nancy to Daniel. I'm so happy that listening to and talking about this podcast is something we do together. Also, depending on when this message is read on the pod, I'm so proud of you for maybe having started medical school. Love you. Good luck, Daniel. Uh, I hope that you've maybe started medical school. And if not, I hope you're not like Devin. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Stated by that Project for Awesome message. <laughs> 
This next question comes from Elliot, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I've been informed by my sister that I walk too loudly, mm. and my parents agreed. My sister just said, I've been dealing with this my entire life. I'm 23. How do I change the way I walk? I've been half stomping around, half tiptoeing, and it's not fun. Cheers, Elliot. We've all known you, Elliot. I had an upstairs neighbor named Dana who had boots and never took them off. And she was not a big person, but she sure didn't sound that way. I'm actually married to an Elliot. I yeah. I remember when Sarah and I first started dating, I would hear her walking toward my apartment like half a block before she arrived. <laughs> Some people are just heavy steppers, Elliot. And instead of trying to change your walk, I encourage you to tell your family, I am a heavy stepper. It's who I am. I can't look. My foot hits the ground. And that is the noise that happens. Like, I, I can't fix it. Recently, my personal trainer, Laura, said to me, John, you need to land more softly. And I was like, listen, I jump. And then I fall out of the sky four inches and I land and that is it. I don't have like I don't have I, I, I'm not going to learn how to jump softly. I'm 41 years old. Elliot, you're you're a heavy walker. You're a good person. Yeah. And it's just everybody has a thing and that's your thing. And it's no big it's no big deal. People like in security are designing software systems that can identify people by their gait, by mm. the way that they walk. This like to me that says this isn't like a thing that I do. It's as big a part of me as like my face or my brain. Like this is who I am. It's me. Homeland the Department of Homeland Security has confirmed that this is just who I am. <laughs> That's what you should say, Elliot. All right, Johnny, here's another question. It's from Eric who asks, Dear Hank and John, why is it that when I brush an ant off my table or my leg, they fall to the floor and then just keep moving? That would be like someone pushing me off a building and then me just carrying on with my day unfazed. Why don't ants die from falling from heights? Name-specific sign-offs are hard when your name is so generic. Oh, that's good. That's very yeah, you, good, I mean, you worked hard for it, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't easy, but you got there. Ants. There's, so a few, there's, a, there's, a, there's few a bunch different of things, things that, that are here. going on here. First of all, if you brush an uh, uh, ant off your desk, it's not like falling off a building. It's because gravity happens on meters per second basis. It would be like you falling off your desk, one, which, for clarity, would actually hurt you more than it hurts an ant. Yes, because you are much heavier than an ant, ants have very low uh, mass when compared to their surface area. So yes, an ant could, however, also fall from a building and be just fine, which is amazing because they float, basically. They're like a feather. Yeah, they're just soft landers. They're like they're not like Elliot. That They're not heavy walkers. <laughs> have you ever had an ant roommate, though, that's a heavy walker? Oh, my God. <laughs> Six legs. And they hit the ground, like, constantly. Uh, ants have very a, uh, low terminal velocity. There you basically. go. You got That's where there. where we're at. Yeah. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from McKenna who writes, Hello, John and Hank, but mostly John. It's my kind of question. Recently, I was hanging out with some friends and I was asked who I would have play me in a movie about my life. I didn't know what to say. Do I pick a celebrity I admire so that I can meet them? Or do I pick someone that looks like me? Since John is a well-known casting director, I thought he would be the right expert <laughs> to consult. McKenna. <laughs> I 
I think you have to pick somebody who looks a little like you mm-hmm. or it's or yeah. it's weird. Like I think if I were to say, you know, I'd love for Julia Roberts to play me in the movie adaptation of my life, people would be like, I don't eh, I don't see quite, it. And I'd be really like, looking. oh, she just seems yeah. like a cool person and I'd like to meet her. And people would be like, well, that's not how movies work. I used to not have an answer for this question because I used to think that nobody looked like me. And now I realize that actually... Um, Everyone looks like you. Yeah, if they just put on 30 pounds, like a lot of actors would look like me. Um, like <laughs> Christian Bale could get there very quickly. But the person I would want to play me in a movie, Hank, is definitely, no question, Mark Duplass, who does look like a kind of hotter version of me, but also like a funnier, more charming version of me. And mm. I, I feel like he could crush it in the role of me. Unfortunately, my life is not nearly interesting enough to be biopicked. Like if I, if I made one yeah. conclusion from watching that Queen movie, it's that I ain't <laughs> Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you watch you watch a good biopic and you're like, oh, these famous people are very weird. Yeah, like, oh my gosh, they did so many things. And also there's no we will rock you moment in my career. You know, like there's no like moment no, that it all builds to and there's 90,000 people like screaming things. It just instead it's just like and then he sat in the basement some more. I was thinking Jason Ralph from The Magician. So I feel like we got a similar vibe going on. I feel yeah. like we put some glasses on that guy, cut his hair. He'd look a lot like me. Yeah. Yeah, that would work. Uh, but this isn't answering the question at all. I, now we've we've just grabbed it and said, "Hey, actually, we would like we would like to answer this question for ourselves. Can we make this about us somehow? We're not doing this the way Uncle Mike would want, John." It's true. Uncle Mike would never have answered that question that way. He would have just said, "I think you find the right person." <laughs> we should do a podcast with Uncle Mike. Oh my this God! What an amazing <laughs> special guest. <laughs> <laughs> he would never do it, but he would be amazing. Like he just has yeah. no tolerance for. <laughs> I, I, he would find this completely unlistenable. I mean, he would, <laughs> <laughs> like there's a small chance one of our cousins was like, "Hey, Uncle Mike, you're in the podcast this week," and then he tried to listen to it, and he was just like, "Oh God, no, no, no." Definitely not that. Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I just want to acknowledge the 50,000 emails that we got uh, asking us questions from the past. People (laughs) asking us questions from moments in history. Yep. Uh, One, for instance, from Tithonus, who wrote, Dear John and Hank, I'm writing to you from the land of Troy. I've been a Trojan soldier for many a year, and we've been waging war with the Greeks for 20 years. However, they seem to have left, and we have won. To congratulate us. (laughs) 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 The army seems to have left behind a large wooden horse outside the gates of our city as a parting victory gift. Should we take it into the city? Some have said there might be something fishy, but it's a beautiful horse. We won! We won, exclamation point, <laughs> to Thonis. <laughs> Look, we, we can't interfere with the timeline here. So, like, I appreciate oh, yeah. that you're a listener and everything, but I'm just going to have to tell you to take the horse into your beautiful city. Yeah. Let that horse in. We can't risk it, Tithonus. Like, there's a few things that I'd be willing to risk the timeline for, but that that ain't one of them. Yeah. Also, we got some updates, Hank. Uh, Asia, who you'll remember, uh, broke a lamp while pet sitting. Oh, yes. And spilled red wine. 
Uh-huh. Asia wrote to say that everything worked out just fine with the broken lamp incident as she is currently pet sitting for the same people again. And they've also booked her for next month. Nice. I mean, congratulations on your booming pet sitting career. But also notes, P.S., uh, this time they did not leave me a bottle of red wine to enjoy. Oh, you've betrayed their trust and you've lost your wine access. Indeed. Ada has written in to uh, say, Dear Hang and John, in 2016, episode 69, a Trinity University alum wrote into the pod seeking advice about an ad she was in for said university. The ad in, que- in the ad in question, she was told to wear a clown costume from the theater production she was in, but was, in fact, the only person wearing a crazy costume. At the time, a life-sized version of that ad had been up in Terminal B of the San Antonio airport for over three years. Now, it sadly, happily, is not there anymore. Is it the end of an era? As of 2019, the ad has finally been replaced with one celebrating the university's 150th anniversary. Just wanted to let everybody know the situation has finally been resolved. Okay, that's like the longest callback we've ever had. So thank you, Ada, very much (laughs) for letting us know about the situation. Read the weird clown ad. I mean, that's still one of my all-time favorite questions. (laughs) Very good. It's so freaking weird. It's a a classic. (laughs) All right, Hank, it's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I'll start. Uh, The news from AFC Wimbledon, uh, it's mixed i guess afc wimbledon went one nil up in a vital Mm. and it must Mm -hmm. be said winnable game against Mm. bristol rovers a game that if we had won we would have moved out of the dreaded relegation zone but alas we ended up giving up a a, what was a really impressive goal from bristol rovers in the 78th minute And as a result, Wimbledon now are on 45 points with three games remaining. We currently are in the last, like, we are currently in 21st place, which is the first team to get relegated or the last team to get relegated, depending on how you think of it. But the the critical thing is moving from 21st place, which would result in us spending next season in the fourth tier of English football to 20th place, which would result in another season of third-tier English football. Well, uh, I watched the highlights from that game, and it was close, hard-fought, and it seemed like you guys can do it. It seems like you guys can do it. Yeah, we definitely need to win one of our last three games, and we might need to win one and draw one. I... This is torture. I mean, it's this is brutal. This, I, I'm not having any fun, to be honest with you. Yeah. I watch the games now. At times, I watch the games literally th- like while my hands are covering my eyes because it's so unbearable. I Even talking about it is super stressful. I just, I desperately, and I, de- and I know all the other teams have supporters that feel this way too, but like Wimbledon needs to stay up. They deserve to stay up. And I just desperately want to get enough points to put somebody else in 21st. (laughs) I just loaded up the league table and you're in 22nd. Oh, crap. What happened? Oh, oh, no. Oh, but you've played fewer. You've played fewer games than all the people around you. Yeah, but we needed one of the teams that won to not have won. Yeah. Southend United. Yeah, Southend won and that was bad for you, huh? They needed yeah, they needed to lose. That was the they were they were they were the team. We were kind of counting on finishing above them. 
Mm. I don't know, Hank. I mean, yeah, this based on based on the results that you've just informed me of, uh, I now think that we have to at least win one and draw one, maybe win two. Oh, God. All right. Let's move on. What's the news from Mars? The news from Mars is also weird and mixed. So we've talked a good bit here about methane on Mars and the this sort of like it's do it. It's playing with us. I don't know what's happening. Like the sudden, like one day there's methane on Mars, the next day there isn't. Like seemingly, literally, like we are starting to think that one of the things that could be happening is that mu- that methane is produced on Mars and it is also consumed very quickly by some process. So mm. instead of it like ending up inside of the atmosphere and then just like blowing around until it gets like off gassed into space, like the way you would think of it happening, like through geological processes that would take thousands of years. And it seems like it appears and vanishes very quickly. So we have no idea how this could be happening. It's very strange. The bleeding explanation is that like something about our measurements are wrong. So we've heard me even quite recently on this podcast saying that there's definitely sometimes methane in the atmosphere of Mars, but it seems to vary seasonally. Now it's like, actually, maybe there isn't because the ExoMars mission has taken readings that show none, nothing, zero parts per billion in the atmosphere. And whereas other missions have definitely, I like been able to find a a substantial amount, including the Curiosity rover. Uh, And that's over a a long period of time with uh, different observations of the same area of the planet showing methane and now showing that throughout the whole planet there isn't any detectable so it's very strange and this like the question of methane on mars has become a big hairy weird one that uh that is one of the most exciting things in planetary science right now so we don't know where it might be coming from we don't know where it might be going and that is why the sort of leading theory is that maybe something is just wrong with our measurements or there are Martians, or there are Martians eating the methane that are eating the methane. Yes, that is another that is another option. Though, isn't that possible? Yeah, I I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know how how life would work on another planet. I I love that we are now getting enough information from Mars for there to be some proper mysteries. <laughs> I don't know if you're joking about that, but no, I'm serious. Oh, that's always been the case. Every time you get more, well, information, I guess you just maybe I'm I'm more into the, these kinds of mysteries than the old mysteries, which I found sort of boring. <laughs> John, thank you for potting with me. It's been a lovely time, and I'm so sorry that uh, AFC Wimbledon are making it so exciting for all of us, but so anxious making for you this podcast is edited by nicholas jenkins it's produced by rosiana hals rojas and sheridan gibson our head of community and communications is victoria bongiorno if you want to email us you can do that with all your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com the music that you're hearing right now is by the great gunnarola and as they say in our hometown don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome